Morning, everybody. As we turn our attention to God's Word, let's just go before Him in prayer one more time because I might need it today. Jesus, we love You, and as a church, we choose to submit ourselves to Your Spirit and to Your Word. And keeping those things together is what we want. We, we love Your Word. It is the anchor. It is the final authority for all matters of life and faith and practice. And yet, we also want a sensitivity to Your Spirit that we would learn to hear Your voice and that we know that you are real and relevant and you are the God of now, not just the God of yesterday and not just the God of tomorrow. And so we ask for an experience of your presence, not just so we can say, woohoo, experience. We actually love you. We want to be with you. We want to be aware of your presence with us. And we want to hear your voice through your word. So speak to our hearts. We ask in your precious name. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you about a big mess I made. Uh, or rather, a big mess I got myself into. Or actually, kind of both. I made a big mess and I got myself into a mess. I want to talk about a mess. When I was little, I liked candy. Am I alone in that? Oh, okay, good. Uh, so if I could get my hands on a $20 bill, and the mechanism by which I would get my hands on a $20 bill is a sermon analogy for another Sunday. But I would sneak out of the house, I'd meet up with one of my friends, we'd go across Ogilvy Road to the Quickie Corner Store, and I would buy $20 worth of candy. Now remember, this is 100 years ago, so what you could get for $20 was like a, a bucket full of candy. I would blow the entire $20 on candy. Especially on Gorgo bars. Right? Not so right. Okay, so I actually went online to find Gorgo bars because they're my childhood like amazingness. They're nowhere. It's like they don't exist. I remember about 10 years ago I went looking for them. It's like the internet missed them. Like the internet has everything, but it doesn't have Gorgo bars until 2013 when a blogger in Vancouver posted this photo. This is a Gorgo bar. There's like this green ogreish troll thing with this drippy cauldron of, of chemical waste that he's encouraging you to put into your mouth. Uh, here's an artist's rendition. Uh, my artist's rendition. That's what a Gorgo bar looked like once you unwrapped it. Fluorescent green. Sort of a taffy-like thing. I mean, it was it's kind of flavor. It was like lime and garbage put together. <laughs> Uh, and the little black bits like fizzed in your mouth. So there was some kind of chemical reaction happening that was really unnerving. And if you, you pulled it slowly, it would bend and stretch. And, but if you moved it quickly, it would break clean. So I'm not even sure what state of matter it was. <laughs> but it was like the best ever because you could both play with it and eat it. It was, so Gorgo, that, it was my jam. And so my friends and I, we'd sneak back into the house and we would go into my basement. And we had a room there with stop sign red carpet. It was called the Red Room. We had very original names in my household. But that's where I kept my secret stash of candy. And we would proceed to gorge ourselves on Gorgo bars and other various sundries. <clears throat> this was a bad idea on so many levels. First of all, that's a waste of money. 20 bucks, that was a lot of money to like, you know, a seven-year-old. 
And this wasn't just a, oh, a special treat, you get a piece of candy. This was pure candy gluttony. At its were like seven deadly sin kind of gluttony. In addition, we were making a complete mess. Um, because you're both playing with them and eating them, it just gets sticky. Like it, they're melting in your hands as you continue to stretch and bend. So now your hands are covered in fluorescent green and then the wrappers are on the carpet, but it's oozing onto the carpet. Now it's in the carpet fibers and then you reach over for the doorknob. Now it's glommed on the doorknob and it would turn your tongue fluorescent green. So there's something going on there that should make you uncomfortable. We also knew, thirdly, that in about 20 minutes, we were going to be the sickest we'd ever been in our lives, eating that much sugar and candy and whatever it is that the Gorgo bar was. I'm not actually sure Gorgo bar, in retrospect, I'm not sure they were food. Like FDA approved, or I don't know what it was. I think we were actually just poisoning ourselves. But in the midst of the mess, it was the best thing ever, right? Sometimes the mess just is so good. I mean, it was terrible for me. It was wasteful. It was toxic. It was probably killing me. But it was my mess. And I loved it. Until I heard my mom or dad call down from the top of the stairs. Hey, Tim, what are you guys doing down there? Uh, and so I was always a smooth operator, able to lie on command. So naturally, I replied with, ah, not, not, nothing, Mom. We're fine. Dad. We're good. Thanks. How are you? And then I knew I was in trouble. My answer had somehow failed to convince them that everything was okay. And I heard footsteps coming down the stairs. I was dead. I knew it. I had no cards left to play. I panicked. Don't, don't, don't come down here. Just, just please go away. Okay, let me tell you. If you thought making a huge mess in the red room, covering it in sticky glom with contraband candy, and eating too many Gorgo bars. If you thought that was going to end badly, that's nothing compared to what results from telling your parents to please go away. You know, we don't really grow out of that phase. Our candy just gets more nuanced. Our Gorgo bars become more subtle. Our lives are filled with the mess of just trying to get through. Trying to get through each day, trying to get through each week, trying to get through each year. Our lives, look, even as followers of Jesus, there are areas of our lives that are still absolute train wrecks. What happens when Jesus shows up in the middle of our mess? When Jesus calls down the stairs and says, hey, what you doing down there in that red room? And let me tell you, saying, please go away is not the win. But strangely, beautifully, if you let Jesus in, even to your mess, He's going to mess up your mess and your life will never be the same. When Jesus shouts down from the stairs and says, what's going on? That's Jesus saying, invite me down, even into your mess, and let me change your life. This morning I'm here to tell you, Jesus wants to mess with your mess. And that's a good thing. We're, we're studying the Gospel of Mark and we're in a series called Come to Jesus. No, we're not. We're in a series called Come to Jesus again and again. The informal name for this series is Threepeat because we're preaching each text three different times. Same text, three weeks in a row. This is week three as we look at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there. 
And we're going to hear this Scripture read again as we this time try to attune ourselves to this idea that Jesus wants to mess with your mess. So I invite you to follow along with me as I read Mark chapter 5. I'm going to be reading this morning verses 1 through 17. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and in the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. This is the word of the Lord. I'm telling you, Jesus wants to mess with your mess. You you hear the common refrain, just as I am without one plea, the Billy Graham, like you can come to Jesus just as you are, mess and all, and that is absolutely true. He accepts us just as we are, but He loves us too much to leave us there. He accepts us with all of our brokenness and all of our mess, but He loves us too much to leave us in our mess. He wants to see us redeemed, transformed, healed, and whole with lives of worship that glorify God. Jesus wants to mess with your mess. And sometimes, one framework for viewing what Jesus does is to say, Jesus is a mess maker. It's kind of what He does. Jesus makes messes. Let's take a look at, first of all, the demon-possessed dude. Jesus took this guy's mess and messed with it. It's sort of a double negative. You see where I'm going with this? Right? He takes something that was upside down and he turns it upside down. Hey, it ends up right side up. That's how Jesus messes with a mess. He takes a life of abject brokenness. He breaks the brokenness and the man ends up whole. Jesus, look at the description of the guy in Mark chapter 5. If we go to verses 14 and 15, the people went out to see what had happened. Verse 15, and when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. That's what his life was. And Jesus said, no, I'm not leaving him broken. I'm not leaving him hopeless. 
his life is a mess, but I'm going to mess with his mess. And now the end result is the man sitting there dressed and in his right mind at Jesus' feet. He adopts the posture of a learner, of a disciple, one who says, Jesus, I'll go wherever you tell me. My whole life is yours. That is a life of worship. It's beautiful. That's what I mean when I'm saying Jesus wants to mess with your mess. He wants to come in and find the brokenness and break the brokenness and make you whole. This text is a beautiful description of Jesus messing with the man's mess. And when He does, your life is changed. And sometimes that's a, a moment. Sometimes it's cataclysmic, like bam, your whole life is changed. And other times it's a journey as God begins to gradually work on your mess. As He holds your hand through some challenging decisions and some choices that you have to make in your life and some healing that needs to happen. But either way, once you've met Jesus, everything changes. Jesus makes a mess of your mess. But we've already talked about that guy enough for the past two weeks. What I want to talk about today is the townspeople who come running because they are heartbreaking. They are heartbreaking. Their lives were a mess too. It just wasn't quite so obvious as the guy running around in the tombs cutting himself with stones. Their lives were together. They had their thing going on. They had a solid source of economic income, at least until Jesus sent it into the river. Their lives had a deeper, less obvious mess. If you look back at the text, you can tell that from the way they respond to Jesus. Back to verses 14 and 15. Guy runs off, reports to the town and countryside. All the people go out to see what had happened. They come to Jesus. They see the formerly demon-possessed man sitting there. And they were afraid. That's actually instructive. That gives us insight into what's going on in the hearts and minds of the town people. One, there's a number of different ways they could have responded to this. One of them might have been, Hallelujah, look what happened. The guy has been saved. But they were afraid. See, I think their mess was just less visible, less obvious, less in your face. They were still alienated from God. They were still broken and lost and sinful. They still needed rescue. They just didn't know it. They just witnessed the power of Jesus on display and the way Jesus can mess up their lives and their livelihood. And if Jesus can do that, what else might Jesus do? Really, it comes down to this. There are only two responses to Jesus that we see in the text. The first one is the response of worship. That's the man sitting at Jesus' feet saying, I'll do whatever you say. That is a life of worship. In fact, it's even the demons before he's rescued. They come and they throw themselves at Jesus' feet, recognizing his authority over them. Right? Everybody in the text worships except the townspeople. There's a second response here. And the second response we see in verses 16 and 17. So if we go back to the text, they were afraid those who had seen it, told the people about what happened to the demon-possessed man. They told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. That's the line that stopped me in my tracks. What's the second response to encountering Jesus? Our Savior who wants to mess with our mess? It's please go away. 
please go away, Jesus. The second response, Jesus calls, hey, what's going on down there in the red room? They're like, nothing, nothing, it's fine. This is, this is my, my red room. Stay, please don't come down here. Just go away. Because the last thing we want is for Jesus to mess with our mess. I don't say that as like an aspirational goal. I say that as something that's honest. We actually don't want Jesus to mess with our mess because sometimes we like our mess, thank you very much. Sometimes our mess is quite comfortable. Sometimes we like following Jesus, except in this one area of my life right over here, and that's, that's the red room. Can't go there, Jesus. And if you start coming down the stairs, I'm going to panic and say, please go away. Because the last thing we want is for Jesus to mess with our mess. What do I mean when I'm saying that? I'm saying that from this text, we can infer, we can extrapolate, if we try and bring it into our world today, they, in their day, if we follow the text, Jesus had functionally ruined them economically. Thank you, Jesus. How kind of you. We talked a couple weeks ago about a herd of 2,000 was kind of a big deal. A herd of 2,000 pigs was probably not a single farmer, but probably an enterprise-level operation. And it was probably under contract to Rome to feed the legions. And so there was, this was not just, oh no, we lost the pigs and we lost the income from those pigs. That actually means probably a broken contract with Rome, and you don't break contracts with Rome. Which meant they, probably the whole region would have been crippled. Maybe the whole region would have lost all of their contracts. with like Everything was ruined by Jesus. Okay, the demon-possessed guy, he's fine. But everybody else is a little bit upset. What's interesting, though, is when people like Peter meet Jesus, he's like, I will leave my business, I will leave my fishing, I will leave my family, and none of it matters for the chance to follow you, Lord. And these people are like, you've ruined our business, you've ruined our families, you've ruined our livelihood. Please go away. And it's an interesting contrast. Now, when we try and jump that into our day, what are some of the ways that we hang on to our mess and we say we like it? I mean, even just thinking economically, Jesus wrecked their economy. You know what? I think Jesus is going to wreck your economy too. I think following Jesus will end up being a complete reprioritization of the way we handle money. What's the default? Well, money's mine, obviously. What's the Jesus version? Oh, money's His. (laughs) So suddenly my finances are not all about me anymore. Suddenly generosity begins to infect my life. And I could use my resources to help bring healing and wholeness to other people. Using my resources to be a blessing to others, that's going to mess with your bottom line. That's going to mess with the toys you're saving up for. That's going to mess with your feelings of control and security. But Jesus wants to mess with your mess. If money's in your red room, Jesus is saying, what you doing down there? And you're saying, don't, don't, just don't come into this room. I love you, Jesus. You're great and everything, but just don't, don't mess with my mess. And Jesus says, you, you think money is what gives you security and hope? Jesus says, that's like a gorgo bar. I want to show you who you can trust. You can trust me and I will give you a hope and a security that will never, ever fail. Money comes, money goes. Jobs come, jobs go. Crisis comes. Stock markets tank. They recover, they tank again. 
then this whole like trade war thing with China and the NBA. Like we have no idea what's going to happen with money. We do know what's going to happen with Jesus. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can trust Him. I mean, that's just one example. You see what I mean? Jesus wants to invade our lives. He wants to find the areas of our mess, and then He wants to say, look, I'm going to mess with your mess. A self-interest. This is another big one, right? Our lives are characterized by pursuing the self. In fact, I would argue the highest cultural value of our day is self-determination. Don't tell me what to do. I am free to live however I want, and you have no right to infringe upon my rights because I am God and there is none besides me. From the Garden of Eden to Babylon to today, the, the, the line hasn't even changed. I am God and there is none besides me. At least until Jesus shows up and shows you what a real God looks like. And Jesus strips you of your self-sufficiency and exposes your true powerlessness. And He confronts you like, like an emperor showing off your new clothes and a little child finally speaks up. The encounter can leave you feeling a little exposed. Meeting Jesus feels dangerous. It's not safe because Jesus is going to mess with your mess. He'll mess with your self-interest. But He's actually doing it because He has a better candidate for the throne of your life. He's saying your life should be all about God's glory, not your own. Puny God. He's saying let your life be oriented around the glory of God. It's actually how you were created. It's how you're made. That it is actually a dysfunction to be all about yourself. We break when we orient our lives around ourselves and we flourish when we orient our lives around God's beauty and His glory and His love for us. Self-interest. Jesus wants to mess with it. Watch out. The other thing we do is we just deny that there's a problem in the first place. Right? Like the townspeople are like, we like our lives, thank you very much. We have no problems here. And I'm just fine for right now. And I can pretend I'm in control for right now. The weird thing is, there will come a time when you realize you're not. You know, you can plan a harvest party, and then it's going to rain. You're like, I got no control over my life right now. Or it could be a tsunami, or an earthquake, or a natural disaster. It doesn't take much to remind us that we actually are not in control of things. It can be the economy, it can be sickness, it can be, it can be our health, it can be death. It does not take much to remind us that we are not, but we, but we pretend we're in control. We deny the fact that we're powerless. And overwhelmed by the sudden discovery of powerlessness. We pretend it's not there and we just turn to distraction. We, we, we hide in a bottle or we take some pills or we run to anything that will help us just to feel good. Even just for a moment. If I can just pretend that there are no problems. I, I'm just going to enjoy my mess for a little bit. I, I know in, in the long run it's probably hurting me. Actually in the long run it's probably killing me but maybe just for a minute I can pretend that everything's okay and that there are no problems. Jesus wants to mess with your mess. He wants to mess with your denial. And He wants to give you something better than denial with which to cope with life. He wants to give you hope. He wants to find us where we're hiding. And He wants to break through whatever it is that we're using for distraction and denial. And He wants to say that of course we reach the end of ourselves. We're shallow and powerless, but we will never reach the end of Jesus, who is all-powerful, 
who is steadfast, who is faithful, who is our rock and our anchor and our fortress. Jesus wants to mess with your denial. I'm going to keep going because there's a lot of mess we can cover here. He wants to mess with your anger too. You know anger, right? You're familiar with anger? You've heard of this? Anger is like the filter through which every other emotion comes out. Right? You get embarrassed, you get angry. How dare you do that to me? You, you get scared, it comes out as anger. You get hurt. You lash out in anger. Anger is a shield, it's our armor, it's the defensive wall we put up around our hearts so we can keep pain and threat at bay. It's something we feed. It's even sometimes something we savor. It kind of feels good to be angry sometimes. It's a mess. It's corrosive. It's killing you. But it also feels kind of good. And it keeps us safe, or so we think. And the whole idea that Jesus might want to mess with that mess, He might want to mess with your anger, and if He confronts our anger, He's actually not only going to confront our anger, He's going to reach right down in and reach for the reason you're angry in the first place. And He's going to meet you there. And if you've ever had to work through anger and let it go, you will know that when you let go of anger, you feel exposed. You feel vulnerable. You feel like you are now a, a soft target. Without your armor, without the wall of anger around your heart, it feels dangerous. It doesn't feel safe. Jesus wants to mess with your anger, but He wants to give you something better than anger to cope with life. He actually wants to give you His peace. And it's a peace that is not based on your circumstances all going well. It's a peace that thumbs its nose at your circumstances and says, I am loved by God. I am His child. He saved me. And no matter what this world throws at me, and no matter what anyone throws at me, I'm safe in Him. Or maybe it's woundedness. We, we all get hurt. It's called life. Some of us get deeply hurt. And I want to be careful how I say this. But if we're not careful, we can allow our woundedness to become our identity. Right? We clothe ourselves in our woundedness. It becomes how we interact with the world. It is the filter through which we, we perceive relationships and opportunities. And it kind of defines us. It's who we are. And if Jesus shows up and says, I want to mess with your mess and I want to heal your woundedness. You say, wait, what? You want to mess with my woundedness? Well, without it, who am I? I've spent so long rehearsing my wounds. I've allowed the hurts in my life to define me and to shape me. This is, this is who I am. I don't know how to be unwounded. And if Jesus were to heal my woundedness, I wouldn't even know what to do. I would be exposed, naked. I would be vulnerable without my woundedness to cover me. But in a place of woundedness, Jesus offers you something so much better that you can be clothed with. And it's a completely new identity in Christ. It, it's that you are a child of God, loved and precious, holy and dearly loved. That you are not defined by your woundedness, you are defined by the love of your Savior who died for you. Look, Here's what it comes down to. 
We all have mess. And the really super weird thing is we really like our mess because it's comfortable. It's what we know. It, it feels safe. We don't have to take the chance of going beyond our mess and experiencing that big bad world out there. I said it feels safe. It's not safe. But it feels it. We're like little kids playing at Niles Beach. You know that place at Niles Beach where there's this weird like stream thing that comes out from under the road and goes down to the water? You know that place? Okay. That's where the little kids love to play. Why? Because it's gross. Right? We don't actually know what is in the fluid that is coming out from under the road. It, it, the, the runoff water there, it's, it's usually a weird color. It's kind of oily and sometimes shiny, which water shouldn't be. And there's kind of that weird white and yellow foam sometimes around the edges. And it does not smell good. Who actually knows what's in that water? Actually, I think it's what they make gorgo bars out of. But that's where the little kids love. They love to play it. They're like drawn to it like magnets. They want to play in that little stream. All the while being exposed to what? Who knows what? That's us. We, we like our toxins. We like our mess. And it's like Jesus comes onto Niles Beach. He's like, you, you, <laughs> I'm sorry. you know the ocean's right there, right? You know, the fresh ocean breeze coming in off the Atlantic is right here. The clean sand the sparkling water, like it's right here. Oh, just lift your eyes. Walk four feet. <laughs> and you could be whole. You could be healed. You could experience a newness and a freshness of life. Do you see what you're missing? Giving up our mess, though, is dangerous. Because it's not always pleasant. In fact, I guarantee you it won't be. When you actually have to step out from behind the walls you build, when you have to step out of woundedness or brokenness or anger or resentment or shame, whatever it is, and you take the risk of letting Jesus into that place, He's going to mess with your mess. It's not going to be pleasant. But it's going to be good. When we encounter Jesus, He's going to tear right through our mess. He's going to rip you right down to the core like Aslan's claws ripping through the dragon's skin to free Eustace from the corruption of his heart. You will be completely undone. And with all your defenses stripped away, with your masks torn off, with nothing left to which you can cling, no more selfishness, no more woundedness, your anger, your, your distraction, your denial... You're left feeling disoriented and, and exposed and vulnerable. That's called honesty. No more pretending. No more telling Jesus to please go away. And that's exactly where Jesus meets us. And it may be dangerous. I think it is. But the beautiful thing is, with Jesus, it's a gentle danger. With Jesus, it is a gentle danger. And when we're done fighting against Him, when we're done saying, please don't come down here, when we finally, even if tentatively, say, you can take one more step, Jesus. One more step down the stairs. We will find that He is gentle and loving and good. 
as God is giving words to the prophet Isaiah back in the Old Testament, he talks about Jesus. And he says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. And I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He's not going to shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You know what that reed looks like. You go down to Good Harbor and you go into the salt marsh and you know that the reed that has just taken the beating of the waves and it's bruised and it's just about to break. And God's saying, no, no, when Jesus comes, He's going to make sure that that bruised reed doesn't break. He's going to heal it and make it whole again. Or maybe you've seen you know, a candle that's running out of wax and it's kind of doing that... It's like sputtering. It's, it's smoldering. And the Scriptures say, Jesus, when He comes, He doesn't come to go... Like he's not coming to put out the candle. He's coming to give more. He wants your candle to shine and to shine brightly like a star shining in the darkness. It's dangerous. But it's a gentle danger. Jesus wants to turn your upside down, upside down so that you can be right side up again. Jesus wants to take your brokenness and break it so you can be whole again. Jesus wants to mess with your mess because He wants you to live a life of worship. It's a life of wholeness and completeness and finding our identity in the one true God. This is what Jesus came to do. Like big picture, right? He took our mess upon Himself. He knows what it's like to be hurt. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to feel completely alienated from God and from everybody else around Him. And He knows what it's like to carry the weight of sin and shame. And He took all of it, all of our sin and shame, our guilt before a holy God, and He took it to the cross and it was crucified with Him. And when He rose from the dead, He conquered sin and death and shame forever. And He rose to offer us new life. Right? He didn't just come to save us from all the garbage. He came to save us for a relationship with God. Jesus came to save us from a life oriented around ourselves. And He came to save us for a life oriented around the glory of God. He came to save us from a life that is bound by anger and came to save us for a life characterized by peace and wholeness. He came to save us from woundedness and brokenness and hurt and to offer us a life of healing and wholeness and redemption to keep us away from a life of denial and pretending and to save us for a relationship with God that is based on honesty and truth. It may seem dangerous to be stripped of all the things we think we need. It may feel dangerous to let Jesus into the mess knowing He's going to mess up our mess. And it may leave us feeling exposed and naked. But Jesus promises to give us new robes. Washed in the sacrifice of what He's done for us. That we might be whole and redeemed and loved beyond measure. And in the end, we will be sitting there clothed in our right minds at Jesus' feet. We'll live for Him. And we'll live lives of worship. So I think this text that we're looking at, especially as we focus on sort of the townspeople and their response, this text should break our hearts. 
faced with the beautiful redemption that Jesus brings, seeing the man formerly known as the demon-possessed guy, now sitting at, in, at Jesus' feet in his right mind, clothed and loved. They were so close to worship. But instead, they said, please go away. Are you dangerously close to asking Jesus to please go away? What area of your life? Where's your mess? We've all got mess. It shouldn't be shocking that, oh, we've got mess. But what areas of those life are you saying, Jesus, please go away? You're saying, I love you, Jesus. I really, really do. But this one area of my life over here, or these seven areas of my life over here, don't come down the stairs. Don't go into the red room. Don't see me with my gorgo bars. You, you stay out of there. Nothing to see here, Jesus. This is, it, it's a real mess. You, wouldn't want, oh, you would not want to see me in here. It's a real mess in here. And it's kind of my mess. And I kind of like it. I'm going to hold on to it a little bit longer, Jesus. I mean, I know you mean well, but please, I'm pleading with you, Jesus. Please go away. This morning, it's time to let Jesus mess with your mess. This morning is a chance for you to name your mess before the Lord. Is it a relationship that you've been keeping Him out of? Is, is, is it a whole area of your life that you've sort of sequestered off and said, don't touch this? Is it a sin you've been indulging? Is it a habit you don't want to break? Is it a motivation, a goal, a, a priority that you've got? Is it anger that you just won't let go of? Is it a woundedness that you've begun to clothe yourself with and allow it to be your identity? This morning is your chance to name it before the Lord, to confess it to Him, to, to tell Him, I'm afraid. To tell Him, you need to be gentle here with me, Lord. But to open the door and to let Him in so that He can do a new work in you. It's time to let Jesus turn your upside down, upside down. It's time to let Jesus see your brokenness and break it and make you whole. It's time to let Jesus mess with your mess so that you must come out whole and living a life of worship that brings glory to God. And we want to give you some space to do that even this morning. So we'll get the worship team to come back up. We want to give you some space to just prayerfully reflect on God's Word this morning. It's not a huge amount of time, three or four minutes, a couple of verses. They're just going to play through instrumentally. But to provide you with some space so that you don't just hear God's Word and run out the door. But it's a chance for you to actually process a little bit. A chance to be still and know that He is God. A chance to name these areas of your life. Knowing that this is not a quick fix, this is not a cataclysmic moment, but this is a moment where you can take one step closer to Jesus and say, here's my area. Here's where I've been keeping you out of. Here's what I don't want you to touch, Lord. Here's where I've been saying, please go away. And maybe your first move is simply to say, God, change my heart so that I might actually be open to you coming in. Maybe your next move is, Lord, I actually invite you in. Maybe the next move is, Lord, change me. Mess with my mess, Lord Jesus. At the end of the service, during the last song, we're going to have some people up at the front that if you would like to be prayed over, if you would like to share your mess, 
either by saying, here it is, or just by saying, look, i got a mess. But if you would like to be prayed for, if you would like someone to intercede before the Lord on your behalf, we want to make that available to you too. I will come up later in the service and make that available to you. But for right now, it's time to let Jesus mess with your mess. Take these next few minutes, even as the worship team plays, to go before the Lord, to open yourself to Him, to invite Him down the stairs, and see if He doesn't start a new work in you even today. Let's pray. Jesus, we need You and we love You. We thank You that You're a God who does not leave us broken, a God who does not leave us in a mess. But it's terrifying to think of you actually coming in here and dealing with what is. In these next few moments, God, hear your people. Hear our hearts. Be a God of gentle danger as we confess our need to you.